Women in White Coats is here to uplift women doctors just like you. Empowering you in your personal and professional life. I'm Dr. Amber Robbins. And I'm Dr. Archana Shrestha. We are doctors, best-selling authors, and the co-founders of Women in White Coats. Now, are you ready for a culture shift where women empower women? Join us to get a glimpse of what life is like as a woman doc. And guess what? You'll discover that you're not alone. We're here to give you positivity and keys to balancing your life. This is the Women in White Coats podcast. Hey, Sister Docs, we've got exciting news. We just opened up registration for the 2021 Women in White Coats virtual conference and wellness retreat. And we can't wait to relax, grow, and connect with you during the online event, which will run from April 29th through May 1st, 2021. Attend workshops, wellness sessions, and hear about topics relevant to you as a woman doctor, while also earning 10 CME credits. We will also have fun networking events, like virtual happy hours, a book launch, and a Heroes Award Ceremony for you to connect with other women just like you. Since it's virtual, no matter where you live or what's going on with work or family, you'll be able to join in so that you can be uplifted and empowered by the conference. One of the things women say when they leave our events is how they no longer feel alone and they finally feel like they have found their tribe. Head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com for more info. We can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Women in White Coats podcast. My name is Dr. Archana Shrestha. I'm one of the co-founders of Women in White Coats. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Linda Street. She is a board certified maternal fetal medicine specialist life coach and speaker who focuses specifically on physician negotiations. She is the founder and CEO of Simply Street MD Negotiation Coaching, where she pairs her coaching tools, experience in negotiation as a physician and negotiation techniques to help physicians take charge of their lives and negotiate for the salary they deserve. So welcome, Linda. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to your audience and talk to you. Yeah, and so today we're going to talk about, of course, negotiation, but also about advocating for yourself as a female physician. So I always just like to start with, how did you even get interested in this topic? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those um, school of hard knocks type things. You create the course you needed. Um, so I am a subspecialist and after I finished my fellowship, I took a job that was really in my mind, quote unquote, my only option. My husband had really close ties to the community that I'm currently working in. And at the time, the academic center was the only place that had an MFM position. So I actually signed a contract my first year of fellowship, which is two years prior to graduation. It's a three-year fellowship. And I just signed it like I asked for a couple little things, but for the most part, I just signed it. So fast forward a couple of years, I'm in the position and the state of Georgia actually publishes all of the salaries of their employees on the internet. So you can actually look up what everybody in your department is making. Well, my male partner is making $150,000 more than I am. 
And while he had some administrative responsibilities and a significant amount of seniority over me and should be making some more, we were seeing the same amount of patients by the time I got kind of ramped up. And so I felt like six and a half or multiple six figures almost really um, was a little bit excessive. So I spent a lot of time kind of moaning and groaning over that. And then my second year in the position, I decided I was going to navigate and negotiate for myself. And I was able through help with a coach on my mindset to secure a $65,000 raise in academics in one year. And so I was like, huh, that actually worked. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of translated through a series of different events. I ended up actually leaving that job due to some work culture issues. Um, But that ended up through a series of other events leading me to think, I'm not the only one with this problem. Like I'm not special or unique in this situation. It's happening everywhere. Everyone I was talking to had fairly similar stories. There were a lot of female physicians out there with either pay discrepancy based on gender or just poor pay compared to what their friend across the street made or whatever. And they didn't know where to begin. They're like, I know that this is a problem, but I have no idea how to solve it. And so that led to kind of wheels turning and starting to make this a process. Yeah. Wow. That is such a great uh, story. And um, I love how you were able to negotiate, um, you know, some like a a raise there and simply, I mean, what would you say was, was, uh, was it that allowed you to do it? Was it changing your mindset? Was it um, also just asking? Because I feel like as women, we are really afraid to ask for a raise or for um, even transparency too. Sometimes we'd like to know like what's going on and we we're kind of like in the dark about it. Yeah. In that specific situation, it was a couple of things. I think the mindset was the key domino that triggered everything else. So I think that was by far the most important foundational piece. I was actually in a weight loss coaching group at the time and commented about um, not feeling great about my upcoming um, performance review and plan to negotiate. And they challenged me to think about it as maybe it benefits both of us. And that was a big shift for me because I was going into it very much as it was an antagonistic relationship. It was me versus the department chair. He won and I lost, or I I won and he lost. Like there was not a any possible outcome where we were both winners. And so really shifting to the fact that we were mutually benefiting each other helped me to kind of be aggressive enough to ask for what I needed. And that I think was the foundation for everything else. And it was really subtle, like, oh, maybe I do bring a lot to the department. And maybe as the department chair, it's beneficial for him that I'm bringing profit to the division or to the department or whatever. And so that shift was kind of the cascade that led to everything else. I ended up getting another offer as well, because um, one of the things I'd like to talk about is the strongest market data is what somebody else is willing to pay you specifically. So I actually got another contract and I showed up with it. I set it on his desk. At this point, I was fairly fed up for a multitude of reasons. So I sat it on his desk and said, look, I want to be here. These are the reasons I want to be at this institution and this job, but this is what somebody else is willing to pay me. And it was about $120,000 more than what I was making. And that's a substantial difference. I mean, six figures is plenty to move your family four hours away. And so I laid that down, told him, I need something closer to this if you want me to stay. And everything kind of went from there, but that I don't think I would have had the 
gusto to go out and interview for another job or the oomph to set that in front of him because this was somebody that was fairly intimidating to me um, without that shift of, you know what, it, it helps him too. Yeah. I mean, we know the statistics out there that, um, you know, over a career, a woman physician could earn a million dollars less than, or more, you know, it could be a million plus <laughs> or around a million dollars less than their male counterparts simply for being a woman. And, and that's accounting for, you know, they're working the same number of hours. They have the same number of productivity, but we are having this kind of this gender pay disparity. So we know that those, you know, those numbers are out there already. And a lot of times what I see happening, Linda, is that it's kind of like, we're almost blamed like, well, you didn't negotiate and it's your fault because you didn't negotiate, like you should have negotiated for more. Um, can you speak to that? Because I feel like, well, yes, we should negotiate, but why does this even, this, this disparity exist in the first place? Like, why aren't we just treated as equals? and uh, you know, so I'd love for you to just touch on that topic too. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of things is my, um, slow answer or my quick answer. But if you think about it, even our hesitancy to negotiate is the result of kind of coming up in this patriarchal upbringing, right? Like the reasons we're less prone to negotiating are because we've been told since we were little girls not to rock the boat and to make everybody happy and to help people. So the patriarchal conditioning of society by itself, that bias kind of ingrained in our culture has set this up from the get-go. So I don't think it's our fault. Um, I think in addition to that, you add the biases of the people who are handing you the salary because I've had situations where I've had clients that were given a contract just fresh out no negotiation, whatever. And that contract was different than somebody that was a friend that they knew that was a male partner. So, I mean, there is certainly bias at that end as well. Like it's mm -hmm. real, it's there. Um, the study I believe that you're referring to, I think found like a $17,000 difference, a $17,000 a year difference in fresh grad initial offers for the same FTE. And you can't mm -hmm. argue with a bunch of new grads on a collective scale, that there's big differences in skill sets, that there's big differences in what they can bring to the table. I mean, arguably we have data that female physicians have better health outcomes for their patients. So if you're really gonna argue based on those type of things like merit, then maybe women should be being offered more. Um, so I think you add the kind of cultural overlay to the bias that's present at the medical level and then you like cement that with a little sprinkling of being told from medical school and residency and plus or minus fellowship, you're so lucky to have this spot. You're just so lucky you have this position. So, I mean, we're indoctrinated from the minute we're baby medical students to think you're so privileged to have this opportunity. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't, God forbid you ask for something to accommodate yourself. Mm -hmm. right? And so when you have that kind of chronic indoctrination, that's a big barrier to overcome to be able to advocate effectively for yourself. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think also just like the culture of medicine is like, you know, we don't talk about the money side of it very much. Like, you know, you, I mean, it's just so cliche. We come out of med school. We all say, we don't know anything about running the, the business side of medicine, right? We, we know how to take care of patients. We're great at that, but we aren't taught the business side, right? We're almost taught to, um, you shouldn't think about that. You shouldn't think about the financial right. piece of it, right? Like that it's almost bad to think about, um, you know, 
your pay that, that you should basically be doing this almost for free if you could, <laughs> if we could, you know, or that it's not important, like how much you're making, it's just important to take care of patients and that's it. But I think that the problem with that is that as women, if we go in and we are doing this work and we find out our male colleagues are making more, that doesn't make us feel good. That doesn't make us want to stay in the system and, and keep working and keep showing up. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of like a blow. You know, and I, I think you kind of touch on that when you say, you know, how does it benefit, like it would benefit them for me to be paid equally because then I can show up fully knowing that I'm valued. Is that kind of the mindset shift that happened for you when you started to think about how it was mutually beneficial? Right. A hundred percent. And that's actually, you took the words out of my mouth. That's something I tell my clients. Because if you look at the data of people leaving, people in general leaving medicine, I mean, doctors are leaving medicine in droves and female physicians more so than males. Um, there's another study that I believe it was like 50 or 60%, or maybe it was 40%, I don't know, close to half of female physicians by six years out were going part-time or leaving medicine. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reason behind that is because they're in a contract that is inflexible. They're in a contract that's not supporting them and they can't do what they do best without all this resistance. And so the natural solution when something is harmful to your psyche or harmful to your well-being is to leave or to cut back, right? And really and truly, I mean, I was in a situation, I left a full-time job because it got to the point where I felt suffocated and I wondered what the heck I was doing in medicine. I was three years out of fellowship. So I was not that far out into my career. I um, burned my non-compete and did locums for a year and then started my new job. I'm 0.8 now. I have Fridays off, which is, I think all physicians should only have four-day work weeks, but that's a whole separate topic. Um, but I navigated a contract that serves me. And all of a sudden I love my job again. And so it's the same, I mean, it's for the most part, the same job. There are subtle differences in the responsibilities, but the biggest difference is how I set it up and how valued I feel because of the terms I was able to create for myself. And so I think that we can't afford not to negotiate because in order to keep taking care of our patients and keep doing what we're so good at, we have to navigate this. We have to negotiate. We have to advocate for ourselves. Because the alternative is, is leaving. And I think leaving or going part-time is not a bad thing. I don't want to give that message. I think if you do it on your terms, it's a wonderful thing, but it has to be on your terms. I don't want it to be because you're escaping because then you're just going to get to something else and there'll be different problems. But if you can kind of design your job to reflect what you need and to support you and to be fair and to value what you're giving then it's a whole different ballgame. And you may buy 20 years of longevity in your career that otherwise would have dissipated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just feeling that you're valued as much as the men in your group or that you're being paid fairly, um, I mean, that that feels, that's such, so huge. Like that's so huge for morale and to keep showing up, right? Like if you find out that you're being paid less, like of course, it's going to make you feel less than and less valued. And like when you feel less valued, then you're like, well, maybe I should go somewhere else or maybe I should be doing something different altogether. So it totally makes sense. But I love um, how you're touching on some other things too about just like advocating for yourself because part of the negotiation could be other things besides the financial piece of it and um, pay. 
but some other things, can you talk on that too? Like some other things that people might need to negotiate to make um, a career in medicine work as a woman. Right. So, I mean, pay is obviously one of them. I think the next big one is schedule. And that can be how many days a week you work, what your FTE is, what your call schedule is. Um, Call floors are really important. So saying um, we'll work no more than one in seven call or whatever you put in your contract and how often you um, can tolerate that in your lifestyle is going to vary individual to individual and subspecialty to subspecialty. Um, Certainly when I was taking home call every other week for three years, it wasn't the same as if I was taking in-house call. But at the same time, even though it was home call and I was very infrequently called in, there's that emotional burden of having to be available. So people would be like, oh, it's home call. It's not that bad. You're just answering the phone. But you always had to have the phone by your bedside. You always had to answer. You had to pick up. You had to worry if you took your kids to a children's movie that you would be called and you'd have to walk out. And then what do you do with your small kids? They can't just sit in the movie theater. So now you got to drag them out. So even though the call itself wasn't a terrible burden from a physical effort standpoint, there was a lot of emotional baggage attached to that. And so I think considering all those things on the front end and putting limits that are hard floors in your contract is really protective of yourself ahead of time. We hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, Sister Docs, have you lost your passion for being a physician? You are not alone. Nearly 50% of women doctors report burnout. Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to burn out. Instead, choose to burn bright in a unique online CME course created specifically for women doctors. Join the co-founders of the Women in White Coats blog, Dr. Amber Robbins and Dr. Archana Shrestha for a 12 month long journey back to you. You'll reconnect with your purpose and your passions and in the process will come out the other side feeling happy while burning bright. Oh, and when you sign up for this online course, you'll also earn up to 17 hours of category one CME. To learn more, head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash CME. All right, now back to the episode. The other thing I call pot sweeteners, and these are just little things that make your life better. So if you're someone that documentation is the bane of your existence, which all of us dislike it a little bit, but there are some people that it really throws them for a loop. And there are other people that are like, yeah, I can get through it. No big deal. Documentation has never been a huge problem for me, but I see the same kind of patients all the time. And so it's not that big of a deal, but I know other people that literally the reason they want to quit their job is because they're charting all the time. And so for those people asking for a scribe, having that in your contract that they have to provide that for you, um, a parking space. That sounds so stupid, but at a lot of these medical centers that are huge, you may be getting on a shuttle bus and coming in from a lot. And that could add 30 minutes to your day on either end. And an hour of your time over a year is pretty valuable. So if you can get a parking spot in a better lot, 
that may make the difference in your life to help you feel more valued and to make your life work. Um, it can be tiny things, an office near your clinic, so that if you have a no-show, you can go work on your academic papers or whatever. I mean, there are a lot of little things that make a difference. Pet projects. So if you have a niche area of interest within your field, and that's something you really want to develop, having some protection for that can really add to the joy of what you do and the efficiency with what, within which you can do it without costing them anything. And it can actually help them from a marketing standpoint because then they can market, oh, we have Dr. So-and-so and she's phenomenal in blah, right? Mm. And so really looking at what is it? And I mean, this takes some time on the front end intrinsically to kind of spend some time with yourself and decide what would my dream job look like? Mm -hmm. So before a client, before a client gets a contract, I always ask them before the offer comes to design their dream job. Like if you could just make this happen and magically with a wand, have them offer you exactly what you wanted, what would that look like? Because you need to know that before you're biased by the offer at hand, because then you know, like, this is what I want. Because if you wait until after the offer and same thing for salary, you're always going to compare it to the offer at hand. And so you have like a less clean slate versus if you've listed ahead of time, what, what you really want, then when you get the offer, you can say, look, this is where you are. This is where I am. How do we bridge that gap? And you can make some progress. Yeah. So many great tips there. And um, I, I think just even something you raised or, or even in your own personal story was, you know, because I think that so often we think I need to get this contract perfect before mm-hmm. I start working at this particular for this organization or institution or practice. Right. But um, I like how, at least in your story, you were able to negotiate afterwards some changes. Right. And so I think a lot of times we get stuck in like, well, I signed this like five years ago and now this is just how it's going to be for the rest of my career here. You know, so how, how what kind of tips do you have for that? Like in terms of like once you're already at a, a specific practice or uh, working for a specific institution for negotiating changes once you're already there. Right. And so it's always a leverage equation and leverage sounds big and scary and negotiating. So I always like to translate that to leverage is really, it's like a little lever and it's about minimizing your losses and maximizing their perception of losses. And so minimizing your op or your losses is by having other options. So the more security blankets you have, the more minimal the loss will be if they say no right? Like Mm -hmm. when I'm in this current contract, I have it negotiated that I can do PRN work for a different hospital that I worked at when I was doing locums. I have it negotiated that I can protect my company and my side gig of coaching from them owning any share of that. And so if anything ever hits the fan or gets really rough going forward, I have other options. I have other things that can pay my bills for a little while while I get my feet kind of grounded. Um, So that's minimizing my losses. The other side is maximizing their perception of loss. And what that is, is really why are you specifically perfect for them to keep? What is it that you contribute to your current practice or your current hospital that's different than what other people with your clinical skill set are contributing? So what is it that they would lose if they replaced you with someone else who's the same kind of doctor? Because if you can emphasize, look, I'm bringing this, this, and this, you have more leverage, right? And then you have a little bit more push to get what you need. And I think the other piece of that is not being afraid to tell your accomplishments. 
So part of this patriarchal cultural issue is we don't like to toot our own horns because that's arrogant. Men don't feel that way. Men are very happy (laughs) to their horns. (laughs) And so you have to be willing to say, look, and I think the other piece of that is assuming they know what you've been doing. They don't. And so you have to be willing to say, I've published 13 papers. I've started from scratch this new community outreach clinic. I've, whatever you've done, you have to be able to list your accomplishments as to why you're instrumental to their institution or why you're bringing a unique flavor to the practice that can't just be easily replaced. Because the more value you're showing them you bring, the more likely they are to give you what you want to keep you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so good. So good there. I think that those are such great tips there. And I'd like to just talk a little bit about the pandemic and like what's happening right now. I mean, we kind of touched on it, like that people are leaving in droves, right? I mean, so the statistic I saw now, this is back in the summer. So, you know, maybe six months ago was that like one in four physicians had either been furloughed or um, cut hours or pay cuts as a result of the pandemic. Um, and I, I've, I've, I was hearing stories of um, new uh, grads or new residency grads coming out, not able to find a job, like, and they were like pediatric uh, surgeons, you know, so they're subspecialty surgeons, not able to find a job, you know. So let's talk about that. I mean, how has the pandemic changed our ability to negotiate? Are we supposed to just take what we can get now? Because I feel like maybe some people are feeling like that, like, I've just got to take whatever kind of work I can get right now. Right. So I think it's, it's a little bit of a complex answer. Um, So I want to let you know, there are some people very effectively navigating really amazing contracts. I have seen some great deals happen over the last six, nine months. Um, My business has actually been busier over the last six, nine months, because I think people are more likely to reach out for help because they're seeing the pandemic as a barrier. Um, One piece that I would recommend as a tip for people who are navigating a negotiation at this point is to pre-anticipate these questions. So if they say, I can't give you that because of COVID, have, have a response ready when you're not acutely on the spot so that you can have like a logical answer to that question. And it's going to be individualized depending on what your situation is. But um, so I think for one, just know there are really great opportunities still out there. Um, the second piece of that is really, you may have to be a little more creative. You, have, you may have to be a little more flexible about the region you look in or maybe you'll do locums for a little while. Locums has been kind of hit or miss too. Some specialties have still had plenty of opportunities. Others have had a harder time finding locums arrangements. So really seeing like, how can you serve and keep your skill set up and pay for your bills in a way until you kind of find a deal that works for you. Um, If you decide that there is a job that's kind of like meh, but good enough for now, and you do decide to pursue it, building in safeguards. So for example, one of the things that's been a big issue with the pandemic is pay. And so if they're like, well, we can't give you that rate because of the pandemic. Okay, well, how can we set this up in a tiered system so that I'm getting raises every six months in anticipation that over that time frame, the institution will be able to recover some of their profits. Like if you're gonna share in the famine, you need to share in the feast. Mm -hmm. So set up your contract in a way that is like, okay, I recognize that things are difficult right now. I'm open to taking a 25th percentile pay for the first six months 
with the assumption that it gets boosted to the 50th percentile after that and the 75th percentile for the six months following, and then we can reevaluate or something to that effect, like having some type of trigger in your contract to where things automatically ratchet up just because you don't want them to be like, oh, well, that's what you signed in. So that's what you're stuck in. And you're like, well, dude, I signed in the middle of a pandemic. Give me a little <laughs> break here. Um, so those can be ways to kind of cleverly sneak in um, protection for you with the acknowledgement that some institutions are struggling. Um, some aren't. I work for HCA. And if you look at the um, newsreels, and this is no insider knowledge, you can Google these things. Um, I've been watching their stock and their profits are just fine. Um, so there are companies that are doing just fine. So the blanket, it's a pandemic response. You really need to dig a little and make sure that A, is that even true? And B, that there's a protection for you so that if you're going to suffer in the famine, you're going to kind of thrive in the feast, that there's something on the back end that will make things better. Or like, okay, I can work for 25th percentile pay, but only four days a week. Mm -hmm. Right. That may be a great time to buy your time. Yeah. So smart. So smart. I love those ideas. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, Linda, I'd love to just hear like any other thoughts that you have, any other tips that you'd like to share with the audience regarding negotiation and advocating for yourself. Right. I think the first step is knowing you don't have to be an expert in this to accomplish it. Um, when I kind of fumbled through that first negotiation, I got a $65,000 raise and I didn't know half of the things I know now. Like I know hearing the story, you're like, oh, but you're a negotiation expert. Well, yes, but I wasn't three years ago. Um, I had read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss and I had somebody tweak my perspective. That was the only two tools in my kind of armor that I came to the negotiation with. Otherwise, I was like a early career young female associate, and that was all, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I was fed up enough to be willing to advocate for myself. So I think the first step is knowing you don't have to be an expert to be able to do this. Um, the second step is just starting. Like, start, think about what, what would make my job better? What would be things that I could ask for? If you can even just do that little baby step, your mind will start going, and then you'll be like, okay. Maybe I could ask for that and then go to the next step and make a plan. Um, if you need help with these things, people like me are out there available to help you. Um, there are plenty of free resources and things as well. So just start and really kind of recognize that you don't have to stay in a job that's not serving you. You can either modify it or find one that does serve you so that you can not only take care of your own well-being, but so that you can ex extend your career so that you can keep doing what you're so good at. Yeah, I think that is a really good point that we actually do have a choice because sometimes we are at a job and we feel like I have no choice but to stay here and I'm stuck here for X number of years. Um, but that is still a choice. That's a choice to stay. And you can choose to negotiate as you've been talking about and make things better at that job or you could choose to leave and go somewhere else or do there are always choices because sometimes we feel like we have no choice but that is really not true. <laughs> yeah, and that's such a good point. I was gonna say, I don't, I know we got to wrap up, but um, that same job, I quit without any backup plan. Like I just quit it at some point because things got to where they weren't healthy for me. And I was just fine. I figured out lots of backup plans as time went on, but you don't, you don't ever have to stay. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where can people um, learn more about you or find out how they can work with you? Yes. So my website is at simplystreetmd.com and it's got all the information on the latest offerings, latest things. Um, you can also find on there my podcast, which just launched, which is Simply Worth It, Physician Negotiations. So I'm excited to get started up with that. And then I have a free Facebook group online for female physicians only um, called Negotiate Her. So that's something available as well if you just want to be in a group of like-minded women and ask questions and kind of crowdsource. Wonderful, Linda. It was so awesome talking with you today and you just shared so much wisdom with our audience. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Hi there, Women Docs. We hope you've been loving this podcast and feel uplifted at the end of each and every episode. If so, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. Those reviews help us get the word out and help uplift and empower more women doctors. But you know what? We'd love to meet up with you in person. So head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com and sign up to become a member of our supportive tribe. When you do, you will be the first to hear about meetups in your area as well as upcoming live events. You'll also get our latest blog articles and podcasts delivered straight to your inbox. And you'll be the first to find out about the next time we open up our virtual Doctors Lounge, an online membership community created just for women doctors, where each month we run masterclasses with guest experts and masterminds on topics relevant to women doctors. While you're on our website, womeninwhitecoats.com, Order your copy of our number one best-selling book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. Oh, and be sure to follow us on social media too. On Instagram, you'll find us at Women in White Coats blog. And on Facebook, you can find us at Women in White Coats. Can't wait to meet up soon.